This is episode number 40 of Ships with Susan Reynolds. Welcome to Ships. My name is Pat McAndrew, and I am a professional actor, speaker, and coach. In every episode, we discuss a message related to the most important vessels in our lives. Thanks for being here today. Now let's set sail. everyone welcome to today's episode of ships with our guest susan reynolds who has over 20 years of experience in digital well-being mindfulness and youth leadership from 1985 to 2003 she was an english teacher curriculum developer and first director of academic technology at the fen school in concord massachusetts She taught her students to develop critical thinking and cooperative learning skills to be forward-thinking citizens in the digital age. In 1997, she founded ABC Legacy with programming focused on harnessing the positive aspects of technology while mitigating the negative ones. In 2017, she co-founded Mindhood, a program created to foster mindful communities on college campuses through digital wellness, mindfulness, and face-to-face relationships. After a successful pilot at Dartmouth College, she broadened her mission to inspire youth to find balance between their real lives and technology as the executive director and co-founder of Look Up Live. Susan continues to teach, speak, lead workshops, and facilitate panels to educate and empower Generation Z to find and implement their own solutions to the detrimental aspects of social media and digital distraction. As a speaker at conferences in Copenhagen, London, and Toronto, she's brought her mission to a global audience. You are all in for a great episode with Susan today. We talk about her work with Look Up Live and how this movement she has created is helping young adults and college-aged students to better their relationship with technology. We talk a lot about the importance of tech-life balance and also, most importantly, giving young adults agency to figure out the best solutions for themselves. So I think this is going to be a great episode, especially if you're a young adult right now looking for solutions in order to improve your relationship with technology. So be sure to listen, be sure to tune in, because there is a lot of great information in this episode. So without further ado, let me please introduce Susan Reynolds. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Ships Podcast. Today, we have Susan Reynolds joining us today. Susan, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thanks for having me, Pat. I'm very excited to dive into this conversation with you. We got acquainted with each other maybe about two years ago, or maybe it was, well, actually, maybe it was more like a year and a half or so ago. You know, we were both doing work that we're very passionate about, had the opportunity to travel to Tech Festival together in Copenhagen. And I'm really, I'm really inspired by the, the work that you've been doing. And because of that, I really wanted to have you on this podcast. Well, thank you. 
So I'm wondering if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and where does your journey in pursuing this path begin? Sure. Um, well, it's really uh, it's really interesting. I was a seventh and eighth grade uh, middle school teacher, all boys, uh, for 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, it really started in 1997 um, when the headmaster at the Fenn School, Jerry Ward, needed a tech plan. And the reason he needed a tech plan was because the person he had hired to be the director of technology um, was busy wiring the school. And, and you know, it's hard, it's hard to imagine now back in 1997, right? But, OK, so we're going to bring technology into the school. And everybody assumed, um, OK, well, he'll, you know, he'll wire the school and he'll write the tech plan and he'll train the teachers and help them integrate the curriculum. And what ended up happening was, his name was Michael Lyman. Michael was literally crawling around in the attic, wiring the school, um, pulling the wires through. So it's a really funny story in the sense of, I didn't, I didn't have any training in um, technology education. I had training in curriculum development. And I was the only one at the school using technology at the time. But I was using the Oregon Trail CD-ROM. So it just gives gives you this framework, right? So that 22 years ago, everything that we're experiencing now um, didn't exist. And I found the internet um, when I went on to Columbia Institute of Learning Technologies. And what was amazing was I have a very divergent thinking style. And so I felt as if my brain met itself when it when it hit the internet. But I also felt my brain speed up even then. And so I started to really dig in and, and, and I read Don Tapscott's book, Growing Up Digital, where he really talked about the promise and peril of the internet for youth then, right? So he, 22 years ago, predicted the danger of internet addiction. Um, and so if we fast forward to 2014, I went to my first Wisdom 2.0 conference and Larry Rosen was on stage and he was talking about students and taking these, what he called tech breaks, which is different than you would think. So the research had shown that they couldn't just have students leave their phones at the door and come into class. It would cause too much anxiety. So he did this whole study testing out if you turn, the kids turned their phones off for 15 minutes, and then they literally got a tech break, meaning a one-minute break to look at their phones and check it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so that was really my introduction. And as many know, um, in this field, Wisdom 2.0, it was really back then when the tech world met the wisdom world. So literally, um, Eckhart Tolle was on stage with the CEO of Google, you know, and talking about how to remain human in this world. And so in 2014, I was, you know, then a yoga and meditation teacher. And I'd almost forgotten about my technology background. But when those two, um, when those two sort of career paths converged, literally sitting in the audience, you know, looking and listening to Larry Rosen, that's really where um, this journey was born. Wow. Yeah, it's really fascinating. Like, I, I, even as you talk about 22 years ago with the whole idea that really all these things, these gadgets, these devices that we have nowadays weren't even in, in existence 22 years ago. And it's just amazing to see 
how fast things have progressed and also the influence that it has had in the way we live our daily lives. Oh, absolutely. It's incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I even, I mean, you know, and there's so much good. I mean, one of the things um, that I discovered early on, which is a little bit like texting if you think about it, but I could help students with their papers over um, IM, right? So that we would talk about, they would have a question about what they were working on on their rough draft. We would have a conversation on IM. Um, and then they would send me via email, right, their draft. And I'd and I'd read it, and then we would have a conversation again, um, which is really was really sort of you know the precursor to texting. But it also so all the way along in my journey, particularly working with students, is was this constant balancing act between all of the amazing positive things that it could do, but also the distracting um, and addictive nature of it. Yeah, it's like figuring out that balancing act of all these great things that technology gives us while at the same time really checking ourselves and making sure that we're not getting too impacted by the negatives that they present. Right. And how has, how has that balancing act been for you and the work that you do? It's such an interesting question because one of the, um, one of the first things that led me into actual researching it in 2014 um, was I had somebody ask me um, what as a, as a yoga and meditation teacher, what my phone use was like. And I laughed because I said, well, it's not so great, right? I mean, I am on my phone a lot and I couldn't quite figure out why. So I started, I started reading and this is, it was pretty early on, you know, a lot of the research that, that is out now was out in 2014. It just wasn't it was, it was, you had to dig into evidence-based research and, 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 and in journals as opposed to, um, you know, common newspaper articles the way it is now. But I really was trying to figure out how, what was happening with me around digital addiction or digital overuse or digital distraction and how the power of mindfulness could counter that. And what I ended up doing was I really, I mean, it was very tongue in cheek. I started a blog called Confessions of a Tech Addicted Yogi. As I was, as I was unpacking this research and trying to figure out like what was happening. And so really early on, I learned about nomophobia, right? No mobile phone phobia. Um, I learned about screen apnea, right? That we hold our breath when we check email or check for a text. Right. FOMO right. was just, just coming out, right? The fear of missing out. But I was so fascinated by this research um, and to understand my own behaviors. And then, and then what happened was I read uh, William Dershowitz's uh, Excellent Cheap, The Miseducation of the Elite and the Way to a Meaningful Life. And it was such a pinnacle moment because he has a sentence where he talks about college students never being so depressed, addicted, um, anxious, self-harming, isolated, um, lonely. It was, it was a really very distressing sentence. And I went through then and read the whole book and he, William is a, um, former Yale professor and he taught for seven years at Yale and through this whole book, he never mentioned 
the interaction of between you know technology and this in this mental health crisis that he was outlining. Um, and then I read a similar sentence by the Stanford provost. And so that's really been since 2014, what I've been trying to um, decipher, to uncover is what impact is this, our digital world having on college age mental health? And that, and that's really been this constant question that I've asked and really has led me to my work with college students to see if more awareness around digital wellness, around digital practices, around mindfulness, around the mindful use of technology, if, if those practices could any way, maybe not prevent the mental health you know, crisis, but could de-escalate it. Because what's really um, frightening to me is when I started this in 2014, it was bad, the, the mental health um, issues on college campuses, but it's only gotten worse. And is that why you would say that you're most interested in focusing on this specific age group of college-age students and young adults is because of that rise in anxiety, depression, and isolation? It's, def it's, definitely, um, it's definitely what drew me to the M in the beginning. And a lot of people have said, well, why are you focusing on college students? You need to focus on you know, earlier ages. And my feeling was there are many people, many organizations focused on um, early childhood and K through 12. Um, you know, common sense media, right? right? I mean, is doing amazing work. Um, and also parents. And what I noticed about college students is this is really the first time there's no gatekeeper of their technology. So not necessarily that every parent would, would say that they were, you know, an, a, an effective gatekeeper of their child or teen's technology. But once kids go off, when students go off to college, there is no gatekeeper at all. So if they haven't learned self-regulation skills, um, and not just around technology, but around sleep, around around going to class, um, around studying, around not playing too much beer pong, <laughs> um, then then I felt like they the, the college students were this missing pocket that nobody um, was really paying. Um, it's not that they weren't paying attention to it. There wasn't really, there wasn't really an avenue for that. And even in really robust student wellness centers on college campuses, the idea of digital wellness and mindful use of technology as part of that programming hasn't really infiltrated it much. Um, and I think it's just because this is such a new topic. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like even... With every year that comes, I feel like there's more and more awareness being spread about it. But you're absolutely right. Even like what you were saying, going back to 2014, even though, yes, the research was there and it was out there, you really had to dig and, and really had to search for it. Whereas now I feel it's becoming more prevalent. And with all that said, I'm wondering if you could walk us through the creation of LookUp. Uh, of course, you're the executive director and co-founder of this organization. So I'm wondering if you could share with our listeners what inspired this creation and if you could tell us what it's all about. Sure. Um, so, you know, since 2014, I've, I've been researching, um, working with high school students, working with high school parents, but I really hadn't, I really hadn't spent much time um, with college students. So 
I had two co so there was a, a precursor to look up, uh, which is called was called Mindhood. And Mindhood was really seeing if we built mindful communities on college campuses through mindfulness practices, digital wellness practices, and encouraging face-to-face -face relationships, you know, could 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 mood improve? Could could there be some reduction um, or some prevention of the mental health issues. So I had the really good fortune um, of having a friend, Jeremy Katz uh, at Dartmouth College, who, which is where I went to school, he said, you know, come on in, come on into, come on into the fraternity that I'm a trustee of and, you know, talk, talk to the, talk to the guys and maybe you can run a pilot. And so that's really um, what happened is we, we created a pilot to test out these, the, this notion of if you set a daily intention, if you learn a little mindfulness, if you're introduced to some digital wellness practices, like put your phone on the other um, side of the room and sleep with it in airplane mode, or take a steady break, break today, leave your phone and go for a walk um, in Pine Park, which is, which is a, a wonderful forest um, you know, nature reserve um, in the back of Dartmouth's uh, campus. So what we found was the students really enjoyed it. Um, we had this uh, beta version of a texting platform that we introduced students to. But I think one of the biggest um, surprises uh, or learnings for me was we had created Mindhood as a specific program. Um, it was a 45-minute presentation. I actually presented in fraternities um, and sororities, so there was already a sense of community among, um, among the students. But, but, the, but when the reporting of any behavior change or um, differences after, afterwards uh, in, in digital habits oftentimes had nothing to do with what we thought it would. So I'll give you an example. So I presented um, a fraternity, it's called TDX, uh, Theta Delta Chi. And I gave a talk and get, you know explained the, plat the texting platform and left uh, the hats. Uh, we had Mindhood hats uh, on the front porch a couple of days later. Well, the hats, I left them the day um, of house meeting. So the fraternity, they all wore, you know, they all put the hats on and then they had a party afterwards and spontaneously somebody said to some of the women that came in, hey, you have to put your phone away. This is Mindhood Tales, right? As in Mindhood. Oh, wow. Now, I didn't come up with that. That what you know, I, I'm 57 years old, right? That came from, that came from a 20 year old. Um, another instance uh, in another fraternity, I um I was giving a presentation, but some of the some of the guys were still out barbecuing and grilling on the back porch, and so Raphael came in, um, wasn't really part of the presentation, sort of stood behind the couch and listened listened for a while, and then went, you know went back and got his burger. And when I talked to him a few months later, he said, "Oh, that 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 totally changed my life." And I said, "Oh, did you download the platform?" And he said. No, no, I just, I just, you know, I just heard you talking about Snapchat. I just decided to delete it. So, wow, right. So the big learning um, 
through that summer at Mindhood um, was was we could create a program, but it's still adult. It's still adult down, right? It's not. It's not young adults coming up with their own solutions because what I saw at Dartmouth was that they. I mean, and there were there were multiple instances of this. I mean, some some students loved the platform and really did it. But a lot of people change their behaviors in, in, in ways that I, you know, wouldn't have even thought of. Um, and so that is really the precipitous for Look Up because I couldn't really, you know, I had sort of thought, well, Mindhood could be this grassroots movement and student-led movement and students would take it on. Well, no, students didn't really take it on because it was mine, right? It was, it was, it was something that we created. Um, and so the idea now with look up is look up and, but then, and what actually comes from the students themselves. And it, it just so happened that, um, a young woman, Juliet, um, goes to Andover, Phillips Andover Academy, and she had read about mindhood, uh, and wanted to bring it to Andover. Well, so immediately, um, you know, Andover said, that's great, but you need to create something on your own. So she created the Mindwell Club. And the Mindwell Club, she's going to bring to dorms um, and, and, th- and, through a, and through a club to just make ha- find fun um, ways to be more intentional with your phone, um, to practice some mindfulness. But what was really interesting this summer is when we were talking with Juliet, she said, you know, it's so much easier when my friends and I all delete our social media at the same time. Because what Juliet had started doing is she had started deleting Instagram during the week. So she would delete Instagram during the week so that she could study, and then on the weekend she would put it back on. But it was much easier when a group of them had done it. So in talking with Juliet, um, we said, well, what about a pilot? She said, well, yeah, what about a pilot? Well, we'll call it the Look Up Challenge. And instead of Instead of taking a break from social media all by yourself, what if you grab a whole group of friends, take a break from social media for the week and see what happens and spend more time, um, you know, face to face in real life. So we put we put this pilot together, um, Juliet and then my co-founder, Kevin Wells uh, of LookUp.Live. And um, and immediately what started to happen is a a bunch of college students said, absolutely sure, I'll try it. Well, we had some high school students say, no, I'm not going to give up my streaks. You know, I have a, I have a thousand, you know, one young woman, a 10th grade girl said, I have a thousand day streak with my best friend. I can't do this. So there's, there's an example of why solutions need to come from the youth the young adults themselves. So our immediate reaction was like, okay, don't keep your streaks. Like we can't be draconian about this. Um, it's really about balance. So keep your streaks. So go ahead and take a break from social media and then go on to Snapchat, you know, once a day and take care of your streaks. Um, the other really interesting thing we learned, um, which I think, you know, deserves more in-depth uh, study is Many of Juliet's friends said, oh, I can't do that. It's too scary. So fear around taking a break from social media is not something 
I don't believe that my generation would think of. It might be annoyance or it might be, oh, it's going to be really hard, you know, to, not to um, not to instinctively want to look at my social media. But that was a real clue how Gen Z really is quite different, right? Having grown up with social media and having having identities built um, around this medium. So those, you know, so we did three pilots, um, three lookup challenge pilots. And the first two uh, we did, you know, just take a break with friends. We had an entire fraternity at Dartmouth do pilot two. Uh, and we also, we also are making a documentary of, of the lookup challenge um, and of different high school and college students talking about the before, during and after of it. Well, that's great. Yeah. So it's, I mean, fascinating. I mean, I would say almost unequivocally, you know, not a hundred percent, but most students were um, really grateful for the chance to do this as well as um, I mean, I would say the majority noticed that social media, they don't want it to be as much a part of their lives as it has been. Um, you know, and and part of part of our mission at, at Look Up is so students did a week um, taking a break from social media, but but we have a weekly follow up, um, just sort of just sort of tips, strategies, um, other challenges that are coming up. So, for example, um, the Royal Society of Public Health in the UK holds Scroll Free September for the whole month. And we, um, you know, in, in talking with them, they they do something a little different than what we did with pilot one and two. You know, we had just said, grab some friends and take a break from social media, you know, do some activities in real life during that time. Um, but we and, and we, you know, we had said, go ahead and keep your streaks if you want. And, um, you know, we don't expect perfection. And what Scroll Freak September is, is you get a choice. So you can choose, but, but, and, and Scroll Free September is also for 30 days, but you can choose to go cold turkey and give up all your personal social media, but you could also choose smaller challenges. So for example, social butterfly is no social media when you're with your friends or at dinner or socializing. Um, one is called Busy Bee which is you're not going to use your social media at work or in school. Um, one I really like is sleeping dog. And so sleeping dog is you're not going to have social media in the bedroom. So you're not going to have your phone in, in the room. Um, and then night owl was saying, okay, I'm not going to do any social media after 6 PM. And um, so I really like that because that gives so much agency yes. over um, right. The control. And it's not, it's not this all or all or nothing. And I think it's much more doable in the sense of creating a lifestyle change, you know, as opposed to like a cleanse. Right. Absolutely. There's something that I really love about the work that you're doing. And it's exactly what you just said. It's this giving the students, giving these young adults agency and giving them the opportunity to make their own choices based on what's best for them. Because our relationships with technology, because of how it is today, it's it's such a personal relationship. 
And as you mentioned before, every generation's relationship with technology is different. Like even myself as a millennial, I know my relationship with technology is very different from that of a Generation Z. And there's something I really love about your work in allowing the students to find the best solutions for themselves as opposed to you know, preaching, okay, this is what you should be doing. And it's really allowing right. these students to figure out what best works for them in order to achieve that healthy balance. I really love that a lot. Right. And, 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 you know, and so with Juliet, right, this was Ju Juliet 17 and this was her, um, you know, this was her idea and her initiative. And so through this, Kevin and I realized, oh, okay, we are really, we're, we're, we're like this scaffolding, holding space for a student, an innovator like Juliet to come up with an idea and we can just help her, you know, help her develop it. And, and it was literally, um, so, so another student, City, um, who Pat, you know, because she was the, an intern um, for us at the Digital Wellness Collective, but when she did the lookup challenge, she said, you know, I want to introduce everybody to my idea, which is called Project Reconnect. And so what City does is whenever she's going to take a break from social media, she carries around a piece of paper, a, a, like a drawing, a, a drawing sheet, and, and she doodles on it and, and draws pictures and sort of, you know, gives her something to do with her hands, right, and as a way to fill the void. So City, as she was participating in the Look Up Challenge, made a video for us um, about the Project Reconnect. And so we, um, we took that and put it on YouTube and she texted us, you know, like, because we, we met with her and we filmed her for the documentary and she texted and said, we need a YouTube channel. I was like, well, of course we need to look up YouTube channel. So great city, go make it, right? So that right there, it was like, okay. So what city had said to us really is, you know, we need a cross, we need a communication platform where so we can share our videos. So Kevin and I began thinking, I said, we need a whole ecosystem, right? And so that is really where the lookup incubator, um, the idea came from and you know, I, it was it was like let's think really big here. Let's think about building right a nonprofit global virtual incubator for young adults to share their their innovations, their ideas um, for tech life balance, and let's build this out so it can be a cross cultural platform. And that way, someone like Juliet or City has a project, has an innovation, but then a whole community of students from around the world can come in and say, and, and can give feedback or can say, okay, this is how you build it. Um, so maybe we can bring in some UX, UI design kids, right? And some coding, um, some project managers. And then, and then there are students who, who have said, you know, I, I don't really, you know, I don't really want to create something, but I really want to bring something to my school, right? So then there are the, now, now we have change agents. Um, so for example, somebody could come in and take Juliet's Mindwell Club that she's starting at Andover um, and bring it to, you know, Piedmont High School in California or, or, or bring it to a school in Dubai 
or Japan. I mean, that's that's how sort of big Kevin and I Kevin and I began thinking. We're like, well, let's let, let's just let's just dream this thing. Um, and so, really, the goal. Somebody said, okay, what's your ultimate goal? I said, well, my ultimate goal is really that we shift social norms around around phones and social media. And how does it become cool? to be off your phone when you're with you. Yes. Right? Yes, I love that. How does that become cool? How does it become almost gauche um, to be on your phone when you're with your friends? And, you know, it's sort of like, I, I mean, I really truly believe it is possible. Number one, because we saw that happen with cigarettes. Yeah. Right? I mean, people used to sit around um, in restaurants and everybody was smoking, right? And that was the cool thing to do. And now it's it's completely uncool to do. Um, and, and the other thing, um, we found is this is such a global issue that it feels like it's a global issue and it's a generational issue. So it feels like the perfect <laughs> complex world problem for this generation to solve together. Yes. I really love how the nature of the work that you're doing is so collaborative because it really, as you were just saying, it brings together people from a wide variety of different communities and has the potential to be this really this global movement. And at the heart of it, there's this essence of community, this essence of collaboration, right. and right. which I think is sort of like the antithesis of isolation, anxiety, depression, a lot of these symptoms that a lot of us are having with regards to how much time we spend on our phones. And this opportunity yeah. to engage in discourse, collaboration, community, it, it really is a, a powerful movement that I think is only going to continue to grow as we progress. Well, absolutely. And and we have, I mean, I, mean, I have so much gratitude for Dartmouth College because, you know, I, first of all, all, all I, you know, it's, it's sort of become a Petri dish for where, um, I can pilot programs. So last summer we piloted Mindhood with students, but this year um, Dartmouth's uh, Dartmouth's Entrepreneurship Center, so their Magnuson Center for Entrepreneurship at Dartmouth, um, Jamie Coughlin, who is the director of that, has really supported me for the last year in in trying to figure out okay, is Mindhood for-profit? Is it non-profit, right? Is, is, it a, is it a texting platform that then you raise, you know, uh, seed money for, or is it a non-profit program that you apply for grants for? So he's been phenomenal um, in that. And so what we came down with, down to with, with lookup.live um, is that it is, it is a non-profit startup. Right. So it's a social entrepreneurship venture. And so Dartmouth um, has said, OK, well, that's great. Let's let's help you. Let's help you um, inspire kids. We'll we'll put together um, a grant competition. So so Dartmouth and Lookup at, at, are putting together a competition. Um, and it's not a typical pitch competition, right, for an app or a startup. Um, but it's really um, a competition for ideas, initiatives, maybe an app, maybe an idea for an app, maybe an idea for a startup. But it could also be an idea, right, for um, a social activist uh, campaign. 
Um, and so the really, the really wonderful thing is uh, what we're doing is we're inviting five or six other universities to hold similar grant competitions, you know, in, in whatever way works in their entrepreneurship center or their, their incubator, right. Or their, um, their collaborative workspace. And then what we'll do is Dartmouth and Lookup will host a summit in the spring, bringing all these winners together. And the really, the really important thing I feel about that is, you know, in order for a global community of young adults to collaborate, um, it needs to be a virtual space. But the face-to-face space is really um, is really powerful and important as far as um, creating this the, the, this this camaraderie and again this balance, right? That there, and I think that's. I think moving forward in any kind of work that we're doing as human beings, right, that we need to keep that balance between the ability to collaborate the way you and I are, Pat, right? We're not in the same, we're not sitting in the same room, but also to create opportunities to be in person um, together as well. Right. And so this was really, you know, this was really um, Jamie's idea at Magnuson and we love it. And um, you know, the hope is the hope is that we pilot this, you know, this year and then next year, you know, we figure out, well, how do we have 100 universities, right, um, participating from all over the world? Yeah, I'm really excited just to see where this type of work ends up going. And I'm wondering earlier in our conversation, we touched upon a little bit of some of the challenges that Generation Z is facing, but I'm wondering if you could elaborate a little bit more on those. Like, what are some of the challenges that Generation Z is facing when it comes to technology? One issue, and I think this is um, an education issue as well, is when we are face-to-face in real life, right, in person, there's an exchange from eye gaze to empathy to hand gestures that we're actually releasing um, neuro neurochemicals that make us feel part of the tribe, right? That make us feel um, empathic towards each other and, and, and this sense and feeling of belonging um, that we don't get via a screen. So as more and more of, well, I mean, really literally this is, this is true for, you know, children, teenagers, and college students. It's just that it just so happens that my work tends to be, has been in the past more with college students. But if you think about how much time is required to spend on screens just for doing your homework, so that if you, if you think about the time that's off of homework or studying or, um, you know, sitting in a lecture hall, watching a PowerPoint, that there's just less time for that empathic um, feeling of community and and sense of belonging because we just don't get the same piece through the screen. So that really does contribute to this lonely and isolated um, feeling. A really big problem, I think, that um, really is going to need to be solved by by humane tech is if you take a break from Instagram and Snapchat, the problem is that 
Snapchat and you know direct messaging on Instagram are how all the communication happens. So it could be that you really don't want to have to be exposed to this continual scroll, Instagram scroll, um, which can actually have a very negative impact. Um, just visually constantly seeing um, posts of people's um, aspirational lives or curated lives. Because even when you're looking at that scroll, knowing, okay, I, I know that my friend posed for this. I also know, you know, that she she used curating filters and, you know, may, maybe made herself a little thinner and maybe made her hair a little shinier and maybe made her feet teeth a little wider, even, even when you know that, constantly being exposed to that. So that's something that when students take a break from social media, they love that. But because social media is also the communication vehicle, right? So Instagram and, and Snapchat become more of a communication vehicle than texting. So, so that's a really a double-edged sword. Um, that 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 students run into and i and i also think there's this huge um you know this uncertainty of what it's like to be off social media um or what it's like to be disconnected uh, because of that fear right that fear of missing out so that's why i, mean, I firmly believe that the more students in, in a community that take a break together and experience that together, the easier it is. Um, and I also think, you know, I also think that's why students love going to camp um, because nobody has a phone. And the other thing, um, and I think this is probably true with a lot of universities when they have sort of first year orientation and first year trips. I mean, I, Dartmouth has first year trips. Um, and they do all sorts of things, canoeing and hiking. Um, they do a yoga hike, which is what I would have liked to have done <laughs> when I was there. Um, but nobody has their phone for four days. And so think about that. You're brand new to college. Um, you don't know anyone. You go off in nature, right? And so then there's this whole experience of forest bathing that I can get totally sidetracked on. But anyway, so you're out in nature with new friends no phones, talking face to face. I mean, it's ideal in many ways. Um, and so, you know, one goal is, okay, so you have that experience. Um, and I know other universities do it as well. So how can you, how can you hang on to a little bit of that? Um, because that, you know, that's, that's sort of in real life. Um, but much harder to do if it's just you. Right. Right. There, there is this essence of when you're in a collective team that like you were, you were saying before this tribal mentality that it's so much easier to stay off your phone, to stay off social media and to cut out all of these distractions when everyone else around you is doing the same thing. It's, it's exactly like, you know, if you're out to lunch with a group of friends or maybe you see a group of friends eating together at, at lunch or dinner or something and as soon as you see one person take out their phone that's like the okay for everyone else to take out their phone and what you're talking about is in a lot of ways the opposite whereas so long as no one has their phones on them 
therefore they're able to more fully enjoy each other's company. Yeah. And actually, um, it's interesting, you know, now that this, you, you just reminded me because I just spent, a, I spent quite a bit of time this morning reading about it. So San Mateo high school in Silicon Valley, 1700 students, um, the, the principal uh, or school board or, or, or whoever decided to do, you know, a pilot. Um, and so there are no phones allowed at San Mateo High and they are using Yonder, um, which is, you know, the company that has a, that has a lockable pouch. So 1700 students, uh, the high school passed out these pouches the first day and every day they come into school and they put their phone in the pouch and lock it up. Um, they keep the pouch, the yonder pouch on them. And then at the end of the day, um, they unlock them. And, you know, school hasn't been in session very long, but the reports are pretty incredible. Um, that there's laughter in the hallways again. There, there's a lot more talking. There's a lot more face-to-face community. Um, students are less distracted. I mean, one, <laughs> one fact that was really funny to me was um, one teacher said, yeah, so a kid takes a bathroom ba- break, he's back in two minutes. It used to be they could be gone for 20. Wow. Right? Wow. <laughs> meaning, meaning, right, you know, they take a bathroom break and then, you know, they, they, they you know, they hang out on their phone for a while. Yeah. Um, so I think I'd be really interested to follow San Mateo High School. Um, very interesting, right, that San Mateo is right there in the heart of Silicon Valley. Um, you know, to see, to see what follows, um, after that, but it's really important, you know, we're really with lookup talking about tech life balance, but I do think if you spend an amount of time, right, taking a break from social media or taking a break from your phone, there's just more of an awareness, um, to be able then to come back and be more intentional about the use. Um, and, 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 you know, I mean, I've uh, Cal Newport wrote Digital Minimalism um, in, in Choosing Focus in a Noisy World. Uh, interestingly enough, happens to be another Dartmouth alum with me. And his, his digital minimalism really is about, OK, take a break, declutter your phone, take a break from anything that is not essential, but then really evaluate what aspects um, of technology are really helpful to your life and really help you you know, fulfill your goals, like your real goals, um, and spend some time figuring out what those are. And I think, you know, I think that's such a a healthy use of it, because our world is so black and white. And this is really gray, right? And it's gray for each person, because what works with technology and your phones and social media or different apps for one person, you know, could be totally different for the other person. Um, you know, one person may say, I have no problem with social media, but oh my gosh, every time I turn on Netflix, I binge, right? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And I'm wondering if you could talk with us. We've discussed this actually quite a bit, but if you were to summarize, how do you think that Lookup can help us better connect not only to each other, but also to ourselves as well with regards to our relationship with ourselves? So I think. I mean, I think the exciting thing um, about the mission of of LookUp 
is is really turning to the young adults themselves, the ones who have grown up with technology and 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 saying, you know, w- you know, what do you think? What are your solutions? What um what works for you? And and then if you want to, you know, if you want to test something out, we'll help you build it out. I actually think I actually think um number 1 that the adults are going to start using the young adults solutions. Yes. They're going to really like them. Yes. Um, so I think that's one thing that's going to happen. And I think, you know, it's coming back um, to what you reiterated about agency, right? So, so if you start to feel like you have agency over your relationship with your phone, I mean, one, one, one way to have, or, or, or your relationship with social media or your relationship with your technology in general, that type of agency gives you agency um, about your relationship with yourself. And it, it reminds me of um, Yuval Harari says uh, in um, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century. He, so Yuval wrote, um, he wrote Sapiens about the past and he wrote Homodeus about the future. And then his recent book, 21 Lessons for the 21st Century, um, in chapter 21, he talks about meditation and he talks about how he meditates over an hour a day. But what he talked about is that if we don't spend time in relationship with ourselves, right, away from all distractions, in solitude, in silence, in, in, and it doesn't have to be formal meditation, but just without um, you know, constant input, um, from, from, from outside ourselves, um, then we will know ourselves. Right. But what he's saying is if we don't do that, um, then this advancement of technology and the algorithms and AI is going to take over in such a way that we won't be able to have a relationship with ourselves. We won't be able to know ourselves. And, you know, I I think in some, you know, some people may say, oh my gosh, that's really extreme. Um, but I think he really has a point. And so taking a break, not just from your phone, not just from your laptop, but from any external input and just spending time with yourself where you can tap into your own internal sense of self, um, I think is really important. And, and, and for me, that's where this loops back around to my teaching of yoga, to my teaching of, of mindfulness practice. Um, in just learning to become comfortable, right, in that stillness, silence, solitude, boredom. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, you know, that's, that's so much of what we talk about on the SHIPS podcast is not only our relationships with others, but our relationships with ourselves, our relationships to technology, to nature, to other parts of the external world. And given just your your breadth of experience, all the research that you've done, the creation of Mindhood, and now the work that you're doing with Look Up, what would you say is your definition of a genuine human relationship? <laughs> a genuine human relationship. Wow. Um, yeah, I think, um, I mean, I think being able to sit uh, with someone else um, in, in, in the whole realm of human experience. So I'm thinking of, right. Being able to sit with somebody, um, 
you know, when they just found out that they got that job promotion, they've always wanted and to be really empathetic um, and excited for them. But in the same way to be able to sit with that same person, right, when something really heartbreaking has happened um, and to just be with the person um, and and be comfortable, be comfortable in those um, really human emotions and present. I, I mean, I think and I think, you know what, as I say this that it's really the same thing that we want to be able to do with ourselves, right? To be able to just be in that full spectrum of living, you know, the messiness of it and the imperfection of it and um, the ever-changing aspects of it um, really feels like, you know, like that true humanity. Um, And I think... you know, ideally, probably um, it's it's being in relationship face to face, but also being able to be that present um, when you're not face to face, right? On the telephone, talking on the phone, or through a video chat, or or through a texting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah, a hundred percent agree with you. It's really a matter of being present and being focused on on the person that you're talking with, or or focused on your surroundings as well. So Susan, thank you so much for coming on the ship's podcast. I really appreciate you not only taking the time to chat with me and chat with us and come on the show, but also I really appreciate the work that you're doing, just the the thoughtfulness that you put into the work that you're doing and helping to not only educate young adults and college age students, but also, as we said before, giving them the opportunity to have this agency to find solutions for themselves. I, it, it really resonates with me in a lot. And I think it's a really great direction to go in with regards to digital wellness, digital well-being, and really this movement that is taking place. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Before we sign off, I was wondering if you could just share a little bit of information regarding where our listeners could find out more information about you, about LookUp, and about more of your work. Sure. So um, we are actually putting together uh, sort of do-it-yourself toolkits uh, for students to bring the lookup challenge to their schools, um, to their campuses, to their friends. So that information, all, all information is at lookup.live. But specifically for the lookup challenge, lookupchallenge.com. Um, you can look there too. We're just finishing up our third pilot. Um, and then so the next week or so, we'll be putting together um, the toolkit so that anybody can bring it to their school. Um, And then if you have an idea, an initiative, uh, an app idea, and you're, you know, you're a young adult, you know, we want to hear from you. Uh, And so again, um, that's info at lookup.live, or you can just go it to lookup.live. And we're also, we're also collecting articles, blogs, vlogs, um, videos from thought leaders. So you don't have to actually create an innovation um, to be part of lookup.live. We have a whole a whole group of thought leaders um, and journalists um, and students who are writing for us as well. Awesome. Great. Well, I'll make sure to include all of that information within the show notes of this podcast episode as well. Awesome. So Susan, That's terrific. 
Thank you so much again. Thank you. you have it everybody susan reynolds of look up live she is doing some great work in helping out college age students to figure out that better balance between technology and real life so susan thank you so much for coming on this episode of ships and i hope you listeners out there really take a point to implement some of the things that she was talking about into your lives if you liked this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend, comment, leave a review. I would really appreciate it. Also, if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. Said voicemail may be released in a future episode. So feel free to call in and let me know your thoughts on the Ships podcast. You also have the opportunity to support this podcast. Supporting this podcast will allow me to continue producing amazing and inspiring episodes with great guests. So please feel free to support if you can. Thank you so much to you all for always tuning in to the Ships Podcast. Really enjoying talking about some very important issues with you all. And I look forward to joining you in the next episode. <laughs>